I think one of the things that I've learned in the 15 and a half years that I've been a parent is that one of the essential tools of parenting is actually becoming a human lie detector, <laughs> which I have not yet been able to do. I have four children, four daughters, and honestly, I can have four daughters and one broken item, and none of them have done it. I can literally bring laundry up from the basement and hold up a pair of track pants and none of them own them, none of them have worn them, none of them have ever seen them before, even though somehow they ended up in the laundry. Like, it is remarkable the degree to which kids are shy with the truth. <laughs> I asked my kids this week for a story about a time when they were little when they told a lie. Because you know how preachers shamelessly exploit their kids for sermon material. And uh, it was funny. Three of my girls basically told the exact same story of a time when they hid food from either the teacher or from Krista and me in order to gain the better food of ice cream for dessert. Or, you know, one girl had a, a teacher who would give them candy if they ate their whole lunch. And so they would hide food in order to get the better food and lie about it. But the other one told <clears throat> a different story, maybe a more concerning story, about a time when they were in grade two and they stole Krista's mascara to put it on at school to impress a boy. And she said, the problem was I was in grade two and I didn't know how to put on mascara. So I basically just got it all over my face. And the teacher stopped her and said, are, are you wearing mascara? And she said, I looked my teacher stone cold in the face and I said, nope. And I walked away so proud of the fact that I pulled the wool over my teacher's eyes. It's a little bit terrifying to be honest, just how easily and confidently she was able to speak the exact opposite of the truth. The point is, in parenting, you have to teach your kids a lot of things about life, but the one thing we never have to learn as people, we don't have to be taught how to use the truth to advance our own agenda, how to distort the truth to make our way forward. And so it is that we arrive at the ninth of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, where it says, Do not <clears throat> testify falsely against your neighbor. Maybe you've heard it before. Do not bear false witness. Or as we translate it into the lives of our kids, don't lie. Just don't lie. Just don't say things that aren't true. But actually, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> the more I think about this commandment, the more I study it, the more I realize that simply saying don't lie isn't actually the best way to understand the heart of this commandment. This commandment is not the answer to the question of whether it's okay to bluff when you're playing poker, you know, to deceive everyone into thinking you've got a better hand than you do. Or This isn't the answer to the question of what do I say when my partner walks into the room and says, what do you think of my new haircut? You know, what am I allowed to say in that moment? This isn't about merely speaking truthful things instead of untruthful things. Jeff said last week that the commandment about stealing didn't require a whole lot of context to understand it. Just don't take what's not yours. And that was true. But this is one of those commandments where the context seems important. It doesn't say don't lie. It says don't 
testify falsely against your neighbor. This is not just about the way we speak, the way it's written. It's about what happens in a court of law. When you are on the witness stand, you speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. That's the context of this command. Now, most of us don't spend most of our lives testifying in trials. I've never done it, and if I never do it, that would be fine with me. But I think the commandment specifies the courtroom because it's in the courtroom that truth is at its highest premium. That's when the stakes are the highest. That's when it matters the most. The courtroom is the last recourse for vulnerable people. It's the last uh, place, the, the last resort for justice, for victims, and for the oppressed. If you cannot count on the truth being told in that environment, the results can be disastrous. The point of of locating the commandment in a court of law is to say when the stakes are at their highest, when it matters the most, be sure that you are of, you're a truthful person. But I don't think that it only applies to the courtroom. We don't spend much of our lives in courtrooms, but we do spend our lives living in the court of public opinion. We talk to each other. We talk about each other. We talk to each other about each other. We speak privately and behind closed doors. We speak publicly and online and in internet comments. We, we use our words constantly. And the commandment reminds us that our words matter. That in every moment, we're being faced with a choice of whether we will be the kind of person who speaks the truth in a way that protects and promotes the flourishing and life of another person, especially innocent and vulnerable people, or whether we will be the kind of person who uses the truth to advance our own agenda, usually at someone else's expense, victimizing someone else. That, with every word that we speak, that is the decision that we're being forced to make. The commandment acknowledges that even though we say sticks and stones will, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, that actually Tolkien was more right when he said, words may open wounds, that our words can actually be weapons that we use against other people. Um, Proverbs 25, 18 says, people who testify falsely against their neighbors are like a club, sword, and a sharpened arrow. Not one of the three. If you speak falsely in a way that does violence to somebody that you're in relationship with. You are using your words as weapons in their life. James chapter 3 says that a word can spark a forest fire of destruction in people's lives. It says in James chapter 3 that our words are like wild animals that can tear apart a person's soul and their life. This commandment is about what happens in our relational space with each other 
how we use our words, whether we're going to be the kinds of people who speak truthfully in order to protect and promote the flourishing and life of other people, especially the innocent and vulnerable, <clears throat> or whether we will be the kind of people whom use and misuse the truth in order to advance our own agenda at somebody else's expense, because we all use and misuse the truth. We do it with our little white lies and our half-truths and our spin and the way we distort the truth just a little, the way that we exaggerate, the way that we posture, put out a representation of ourselves, the way we engage in hypocrisy. We misuse the truth to try and put ourselves in the best light. Someone has once said there are three kinds of falsehoods. There are lies and damn lies and statistics. <laughs> we use numbers to paint a picture of how things are going that don't totally reflect how things are going. Someone has once said, you can prove anything using a verse from the Bible. And I think it's true that we misuse the truth of the Bible in order to make our own opinions seem like they are God's or seem more certain and right than they actually are. I think each one of us finds ways to misuse the truth, not just to put ourselves in the best light, to put someone else in a bad light. We lean into our privilege or our prejudice. We lean into our bias. We stereotype people. We accuse and we judge others based on a portion of the truth or maybe no truth at all in order to diminish somebody's standing in the community. I think we do it in the way that we speak idle truth. In When the Ninth commandment is repeated in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5. The word false is removed and the word empty is put in its place. The ways that we speak carelessly, thoughtlessly, meaninglessly, the way we gossip without giving it a second thought, <clears throat> even though it has real life consequences to somebody standing in the community. We're not strangers to misusing the truth, to build ourselves up or to tear somebody else down. But I think we misuse the truth sometimes in the things that we don't say. I think we misuse the truth when we fail to verify that our opinions are rooted in truth before we share them by the way we spread misinformation. If you read other reflections on this commandment in the Jewish law, when somebody's on trial for a capital crime, the truth must be established by two or three witnesses because there is a responsibility to get the truth right before we declare it and act on it. And I think we don't always take that responsibility to get it right as seriously as we should. Did you know that 19 out of the top 20 Christian websites on Facebook are actually troll farms out of Eastern Europe spreading misinformation? Christians are the worst at spreading misinformation online. We have a responsibility to verify the truth that we don't always take very seriously. I think sometimes we misuse the truth in the moments when we fail to speak up 
you know, when there's racism at the family reunion, or we, we misuse the truth when we refuse to acknowledge the truth in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report. We misuse the truth when we refuse to believe victims of abuse or racism and often end up blaming them instead. I think we misuse the truth when we refuse to acknowledge the truth about ourselves. It's interesting that we are proud Canadians because we are mostly skilled at forgetting the fact that Canada taught South Africa how to do apartheid even though that appalls us. In the last couple of years, there's been a few books that have been written about the white evangelical community. Um, one is called Jesus and John Wayne about patriarchy and masculinity. One is a, called White Evangelical Racism. There are others mostly written by women. And it's been amazing to see the anger and vitriol that the reviewers and commenters spew online and you get the sense that some of it must come from a fear of looking inward to ask whether there's any truth to what's being said. Not to beat ourselves up, but just to ask how we can follow Jesus better. At the, at the end of the day, with every word we speak, we have a choice. Whether we will speak truthfully in a way that protects and promotes the life and the flourishing of other people, especially the innocent and the vulnerable, or whether we will misuse the truth to advance our own agenda, often at someone else's expense. Are we going to be truth people? So what does it mean to be truth people? Ninth commandment kind of people. In Proverbs 12, 18, it says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. How do we use our words to bring healing? I want to say two things briefly. The first is I think we have to do the deep work of being honest about ourselves. I was talking to Mandy about this commandment, and, and she just poured so much insight into how I was thinking about it. We have to do the deep work of being honest about ourselves. See, the reason we lie, the reason we play games with the truth is because there is a brokenness in us that we're trying to overcome or compensate for, either a, a woundedness or a sinfulness that is driving us to play games with truth in order to, to try and fix what's broken. And sometimes that's greed. It's something that we want and we think a distortion of the truth will help us grasp it. Or sometimes it's hatred and prejudice against a person or a group, racial stereotypes or prejudice against LGBTQ plus people or, or the way that we talk about health, you know, public health officials or government officials or convoy participants we we stereotype and generalize because of anger within us or maybe it's our fear of being left out that causes us to be quiet in a circle of friends who are speaking inappropriately about others 
There's just stuff that goes on inside of us and we, we will never be the kind of people who are confident about being truth tellers until we are able to tell ourselves the truth about ourselves, to acknowledge the reality of the brokenness in us and not only acknowledge it, but to let other people see the truth about us, to be vulnerable enough to allow other people to encourage us and hold us in accountable and to maybe even correct us when they see the brokenness in us, but to to allow ourselves to be seen truthfully, to lean into the grace of God and the community, your community of safe people, to believe that you will be loved and welcomed and accepted and embraced, warts and all, the good and the bad and the ugly, and to then have the courage to allow yourself to be seen truthfully by others. We bear false witness in part because we refuse to witness truly about ourselves and allow ourselves to be truly witnessed. The other thing is we do the deep work of being honest with ourselves. We have to do the hard work of being honest with others. It's not just about seeing ourselves and allowing ourselves to be seen. It's about truthfully seeing other people for who they are. Instead of putting people in boxes and relying on stereotypes and making assumptions and and digging into prejudice and all of that stuff, that's all, those are shortcuts to try and know people without doing the hard work of having the conversations and spending the time and energy to get to know them. Right? It's the ways that we default to, I know their type. And what we're doing, Mandy was the one who said this to me, all we're doing is we're turning them into a shadow puppet of our own wounds and insecurities and fears, or even of our hopes and dreams and expectations. We're, we're turning them into a shadow puppet, 90% of which isn't real. They have the kind of the general shape of the other person, but it's not the reality of the other person. And when we do that, when we default to that, well, then we miss the beauty of who they are, their, their depth, their beauty, their brilliance. We miss them as complicated and complex and sometimes self-contradictory people as we all are. We, we miss them as unique, quasi-divine people made in the image of God. We miss the beauty of who they are. We have to be willing to do the hard work of conversation and dialogue and time and energy to know each other well. If, if distorting, if misusing the truth, if bearing false witness is something that happens in the relational space, then it's something that's fixed in the relational space. And then as we establish that safe space, the space of truth and honesty and mutual knowing, well, then we have the safety to be a truth teller. First in the things that we don't say. And Proverbs ten nineteen is probably my life verse because I need to learn it. It says, with lots of words comes wrongdoing, but the wise restrain their lips. What if we fought for truth by just saying a fraction of the things that we currently say? You know, when they were little, my kids would come to the table for dinner and they'd look and they'd say like, I hate broccoli. And my response to them was always, the world doesn't care what you hate. We, we, you don't need to voice every opinion 
that you have. Um, the world doesn't need our half-shaped takes on everything. Like, what if we actually just held their tongues? Have as many opinions as you want, but what if you, we didn't actually feel the need to say all the things that we're thinking, especially because most of it is half-baked and half-true? What if we learn to ask questions instead of making declarative statements? What could we learn if we learn to ask questions and say fewer things? Besides just in the words that we don't say, it's in the words that we say. Ephesians 4.15. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ. How do we grow into the likeness of Christ as a person and as a community? We speak the truth. We, we do not play games with the truth. We do not misuse it for our own agenda, but we speak truthfully in a way that promotes and protects the flourishing and life of other people, especially the innocent and vulnerable. We speak truth, but we always speak it with love. To the person who likes to default to, to hurting people with their words and then saying, well, I was just speaking truth. No, you weren't. You were being a jerk. And actually, truth-telling without love can be just as damaging as misusing the truth or speaking untruths. Let's be a community that commits to speaking truth, but to doing it when it is helpful and constructive and necessary and beneficial speaking truth that leaves everyone better for having heard it. Because, friends, that's who Jesus is. The Bible says that Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the truth about what God wants to say to the world. And the truth about what God wants to say is love. So what if we became people who were committed to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, in the way that we see ourselves, in the way that we see each other, and in the ways that we choose to not speak or choose to speak. We just become people who, like Christ, are truth people. And the truth about who we are is love. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you have shown us the truth in Jesus. I want to thank you that Jesus died and was raised to implant the truth of who you are in us. And I pray that we would become people who speak and live the truth of love to protect and promote the flourishing and life of everybody else in everything that we say. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.